Assalamu alaikum, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Valley of Blessings podcast, where we talk about farming, homesteading, planting, animals, insanity, and everything in between, and we are very well caffeinated. Well, not today, but welcome to our podcast. I am Rain. I am Rina. I'm the daughter. I'm the mother. And this is our podcast. This is our introduction. Introductory podcast. Podcast, yeah. To who we are. Yeah. What are we? Who are we? Where we come from? Yeah. And why are we here? And why are we here? <laughs> What's our intention? Exactly. Yeah. So who are we? Um, we are Minnesotans. Um, yep. That moved to Egypt. Yep. Um, honestly, the reason we moved to Egypt first and foremost is because we are Muslim. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was not easy. Oh, it was not easy. Being it's not easy to Muslims mm. in general, anywhere, and especially farmers. Yeah. Um, may I may the people be helped? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Please. Um, but uh, it, it, yeah, so it's not. It wasn't easy, and so we decided to go to a Muslim majority country, and hope. Hopefully, create a organic permaculture, rejuvenative, holistic, holistic husbandry, holistic husbandry, yeah. farm, farm. Those, Those are, are a lot of big words. A lot of words. I feel need a little bit of explanation. Um, explanation. Of course, everybody knows the buzzword organic, right? So we don't use any pesticides, hormones, herbicides, fungicides, insecticides. Anything aside. Anything aside. uh, We don't use any antibiotics unless we absolutely Absolutely need. And then we wouldn't slaughter the animal until those antibiotics are out of the system. And, of course, we don't use any hormones. And we try really hard, and we're in Egypt, we try really hard to get heirloom seeds so they're non-GMO and um, no hybrids. And so we can actually reuse them also. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's organic. Holistically, um, we try to do what is not only good for ourselves and our farm, but what we do is for the animals so and also for the environment. Um, I mean, just holistic, actually, the word holistic means as a whole. So we're, I'm also a holistic practitioner. So when I'm looking at somebody... Uh, in a medical sense, I look at the whole situation emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, what's actually going on in your system. your si- Systematic. Your, yeah, in your um, symptoms that you're having. And we look at it as a whole situation. So that's the same kind of idea with holistic agriculture. And then permaculture is the same kind of system, but also is growing the ecosystem. And that is really a passion for us. And making sure that our animals have what they would have their 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 natural their rights and their natural environments. Um, for example, like our ducks having a pond, and we're creating a river. And I hope to get. Well, we were creating a river. <laughs> yeah, but it then we had a big fire. Yeah, we had a big storm, and the, a tree broke. But I am planning to fix it. Thank you very much, and. Um, yeah. I was thinking about getting some uh, 
they'd be like, they're not cattails. They're very beautiful, but I I don't know what they're called here. And I'm planning to um, plant those also in places so they would have the ducks and the geese and whatever else poultry that we get has a place to nest. We have uh, raised beds also. Yeah. Um, I kind of, you, you mentioned about the cattails, and for some reason, I want I want to talk about, um, what is it called? When you're farming, not every, you're not monoculture. Yeah. And so, amazingly, we have animals, but we're not all animals. No, we also have... We also have vegetables, which is a constant battle every single day. So we're renting a house that has, right now, 500 square meters, which is approximately about 5,380 square meters. Square feet. Square feet, excuse me. And we are, we're, our goal is to work to getting to bigger. Mm. We say 500 square meters to 500 acres. And that would be lovely. And, and we, everyone has this place and no, it's going to eat my tomatoes! <laughs> the reason why we want so much land is because we hope to create that ecosystem. Exactly. You know, and that everybody will have their rights. And, um, and so, yeah. And we'll have rotational grazing, and you need space for all this. Of exactly. course, we don't need 500 and, of and, them. And in the cuff flower garden, it's yeah. going to take up a lot of space. Yes, in the lazy river. That too. <laughs> Is it for humans or for the ducks, Mom? Um, well, you know, we Love can discuss n- that n- later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I wanted to speak upon is that, you know, also another reason we came here is opportunity. Yeah. Financially, I'm on Social Security, and we're on a limited income. and But here in Egypt, we're able to do something that we're not able to do in America. And that is be able to financially be able to fo- afford to create this farm without any debt, without any uh, investors or anything like that. Um, so, yeah. Regular humans going by. Yeah, so here's the thing. I want to state, since this is popping up, we live on a farm. I have children. We have animals. And um, this is life. Yeah. And I we're not going to be perfect. It's just me and my daughter. And um, we might go on tangents, we might go on rants. Please forgive us. And we we'll try passionate to c- people. clean up the podcast as much as possible. But in general, it's going to be very raw. Yeah. And we will try really hard to um, not make it boring. But um, I think that a lot of there's a misconception I've seen while watching podcasts and YouTubers and all these things. You think that they're able to do all of these wonderful. Um, beautiful like choreographic videos and all of this kind of stuff and then you come to find out that it's not them by themselves doing it's that editors they have editors and they have all these wonderful talented people that we do not yeah. um, we have talents you know we're a jack of trade a master of none literally and so I just want to state that and get that out there as the dog was barking um, but yeah and also the temperature and the climate here has been changing. So before, if you look up in Wikipedia, even like right now, and you just say, what is the climate in Egypt? They will say that it's very dry, it's very hot, you know, but that's been changing. We've been living here this time for about five years, and I've been keeping track 
um, you know, because I'm Minnesotan, and that's what you do in Minnesotan. Minnesota. Egypt's yeah. climate climate is semi-desert, characterized as hot, dry summers, modern winter, winters, and very little rainfall. Har, 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 right. har, har, har. And if you look up, does Egypt have humidity? They will say no. Is Egypt a humid country? Actually, Egypt is the driest the country in, in the world. Is 32%. But it's 32% right now. Egyptian summer is hot and dry. Yeah, so let's talk about winter. Yeah, but wait one second. Wait, I want to say, as I when looking it up, I actually found that they are saying that Egypt is one of the driest countries in the world. <laughs> okay, you laugh, but these are people looking in, right? And so, and scientists who since have not we've come here, here this time, we came here two thousand and sixteen. This time, and um. I've been keeping track, and first off, we were living in Cairo. It was cold. It was very cold, but it was very humid. Yeah. I'm talking, there were days that we were like 50, 60, 70% humidity. Yeah. Okay? And now we moved further north, mm -hmm. and of course, we're by a bigger chunk of water. We're by that... the Mediterranean Sea, but I'm just going to call her Lake Superior, because <laughs> like... You know, Italy is just across the lake. Right. I know it's a sea. Don't bash me. Yeah, we know it's a sea, but we we, we miss Minnesota. We're so. very punny. Um, so the humidity is changing. It is. And things are changing in Egypt. So today is 42% humidity in Cairo. Wow. And today in, uh, in Alexandria is 55%. Mm. And just to give a perspective, Aswan, which is the closer to Sudan area, is eight, it's 18% yeah. humidity. It's very dry there. It is very dry. And it's very, very hot compared to here. But it's still 18%. Exactly. Which humidity means there's moisture in the air, mm -hmm. which is also moisture that you can collect. And your plants need to grow. Yeah. It's very important. So our temperature in Cairo is 66, and the temperature today is 70. Oh, I also want to say, too, is, like, we lived here during 2008, okay? Barely ever rained. Yeah. We stayed a whole year. And, and we had Egyptians say... It never rains here. It never barely rains in Alec. And also, no thunder and lightning. No thunder and lightning. Right? And what have we seen? We've seen thunder and lightning galore. And hail. And I've been trying to get lightning glass. And then... Oh, my Allah. And then um, we got hail. Oh, we got this, hail. We got, we got crazy hail. We got handfuls of hail. Like, almost like... I know they say there's an area inside that this is... It's called St. Catherine. And they say it's snow. Yeah. Anytime they're like, oh, look, it's snow. And it's like, nah, man, those are small hail. But, like, look at this. It got cold enough yeah. that we got tiny hail. And not only that, it got so cold that we bought two heaters. Yeah. And we stayed in one room just so we could stay warm. Because they don't insulate the houses here. At all. So You're literally an icebox. So in the summertime, it's hot. And in the wintertime, it's, it's really cold. cold. And you feel like you're in a refrigerator. Well, then on top of that, it's like on paper, they may say it's in the 60s or the 50s. Right. But the wind chill. Right. You got that wind coming from Europe. Yeah. Coming and hitting you, blasting you in the face off of the yeah. sea. And another thing is, it rains a lot 
it rains so much that we literally have to, quote-unquote, winterize the house mm-hmm. for when the rain's coming. And last year, a whole flock of goats died. Out of electrocution. Because of electrocution. Yeah. Because the infrastructure isn't that great. Yeah, and then also in Cairo, was it that year that Jamal has got a whole bunch of uh, flooding? Yeah. And that's that. What's crazy about Tijam Hamas is that that's a new area. You'd think they would have thought about this stuff, but obviously it's not normal because right. they would have thought about it. What's up? So, uh, exactly. So I just wanted to point that out that a lot of things are changing and it. Um. I feel like there's a need for us Minnesotans who come from a place. Uh, very high humidity, it gets really cold, stuff like that, to help other people here in Egypt, whether Egyptians or non-Egyptians, to figure out how to grow and acclimate to this situation. Now, they've got polytunnels, and yeah. they've got, um, um, I can't think, greenhouses. Greenhouses. Like yeah. Uh, there's, there's not, a pol- it's like a polytunnel. It's what they call a polytunnel. The one that's close to the ground no, no, that's no. plastic? That's a polytunnel. Talking about the plastic houses. That's a greenhouse. That's a, but it's not green. It doesn't need to be green. It's oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, also, they also cover their grapes in like a fabric shade. A shade fabric, which yeah. I've seen at the market. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that they don't know how to farm, but I'm, I do... They're... they're if the hail I gets believe bigger. that there's going to be a big change. Yeah. And um, anyways, we, we want to just share what we know and and help inspire other peoples to grow and be self-sufficient, and which also, is another point of our podcast. Too. Right. Also, I think we have some knowledge that might be called old knowledge. Uh, all knowledge. I'm not saying that I know anything in particular, but... I find um, a couple of things. Um, I don't listen to farming podcasts anymore. It makes me depressed. Um, because they're awful monocultural. Uh, either monocultural or just people trying to control everything. Yeah. Um, people talking bad about goats. People saying that goats are not a beginner's animal. Mm. Like, dude, if you can't handle a goat, you can't handle a cow. Seriously. Um, I think it's because of the, well, cow is slower. Oh, it is slower, I guess. But if they want to run, they'll run. Yeah, they will. Um, guinea hens, they talk about how they're loud and how, when you got these people who are getting 10 guinea hens, everyone knows that they are like in flocks of 30. So, okay, you're bringing up these topics and I feel like we should touch them. Like, for example, the guinea hens. We love them. Oh, love them. We, love them to death, even they're screaming. Yeah, and uh, because they're they're the alarm. So when they're screaming at the, you know, really annoyingly, that means there's something going on. There's something wrong. And that you should go look and see what's going on. They eat ticks. I mean, how many times have people have wished they had deet and they're out in the woods and all this kind of stuff? They're the ones that eat that naturally, and then you don't have to put those chemicals on your body to protect you from something that's not even there anymore, because the guinea hens ate it. And they work. They are like little machines. Yeah. 
They when we when I was little we had like fifty of them didn't we? No, yeah. we had over a hundred. Over a hundred guinea hens. Yeah, so we started out with thirty, and then um, we did. We were able, to, for some reason, people don't know how to train them to go, but back into so we have the area where the animals free range right mm-hmm. and then at night time they go into what we call their quote-unquote house area which has two shelters one for the goat and one for chickens if they need it but it just is more of a secure kind of situation mm-hmm. and it gives them uh, they like it this is how my mother raised me and so this is how we do it and they go out in the morning and like so, a little army right <laughs> And so our guinea hens were trained to go in the house at nighttime. Except one day, Grandma noticed that they didn't come. And instead of freaking out, she just let it be. And then all of a sudden, we had over 100 guinea hens pop out of the, the, the weeds. And Grandma was like, oh, well then I guess we're supposed to have weeds for them. Yeah. And they need brush to, to be able to see this is the importance of their ecosystem. Yeah. You know? So then, the farmers were surrounded by big, huge monoculture farms, right? And, and this is like the time when we were still on dial-up, y'all. So all this understanding about glyphosate <laughs> and all this type of stuff was not existent. And my mother, is a ra- she was raised on a farm. And my grandmother was raised on a farm. And we come from six-generation farmers. And they were all holistic, organic. They never dealt... My grandfather, my grandmother's husband, was adamant to not do things the way the government thought was best to right. do things. They, he did not want to do monoculture and all this stuff. What? One second. I don't want to lose my point. So we were surrounded by monocultural fields, soybeans, corn, and all this kind of stuff. And our guinea hens would go into their fields... <laughs> And, like a little army. And eat all their worms to the extent that the guy who was flying over to spray his field. Oh, you could taste it. Came over to our house and he said, how much do you want for him? <laughs> and grandma said, they ain't for sale. <laughs> you know? But it's, they are awesome. They, they are, are great. a great bird. And if you can just, if, you know, just look over the sight of the sounds, they will save so much chemicals I'm gonna in, give, our, I'm, in I'm, our world. I'm going to give a bonus to our little friends, the guinea hens. They are the peacock's mm. unpopular cousin. Yeah. Literally, they're right. from the same family. They look, yeah, they, they are, are from the same family. And they look like... The peacocks without the pretty and flowers. And now there's pretty ones now. now, now flowers, I said. Flowers. <laughs> now there's pretty ones that are yeah. like gray and dusty, kind of like the turkeys. I no, saw a picture of the turkeys. There's tur- a white one and then there's a black one. That, oh, okay. But I'm sure all the, the white ones pretty. Must, I think all the peafalls all have like their own benefit. Exactly. You know. Uh, goats. Let's goats. talk about goats. The humble goat. Now, we've had goats all my life. Yes. Now, my mom, she was raised with cows Mm -hmm. and sheep and, of course, chicken, poultry, right? Um, My grandfather got pigs, and he one of the pigs had tried to... Attack grandma. Not attack, but what's the word? Like, bum rusher. And and he said, nope, that's it, they're out of here. And his cousin came, he's like, what are you doing? You know, this is where the money's at. This is like cra- a cash crop, kind yeah. of. And he was like, no, I'm not going to have any humans before animals. I'm not going to have any animal here that I'm going to have to worry about 
um, hurting my family. So he got rid of the pigs. My mom loved goats, and she wanted goat milk, and she wanted to make goat milk and goat cheese, and that was her ultimate goal before she died. And um, we had goats before the real estate crash. It, it's the intro Which, to us, yeah. Yeah. What is it? What were they called? Gypsy and Highland Nubians? They were Nubian yeah. goats, yeah. And Good girls. Yeah, they were great. But we lost our farm. That was the other th- reason we moved to Egypt, is we lost our farm in the real, real estate crash in 2008. And, um, or 2007. And uh, it was really hard for my mom. So our ultimate goal was always to eat goats. And, yeah, I, was the, the the, I will say this. They, goats um, like cows, and I believe uh, poultry also, are a, um, now I'm forgetting the word. <laughs> so, uh, not scavenger. It? What is it called? Grazing. They're grazing animals. So, of course, when they're, gra- they're grazing animals. So when they get done with one patch, they go to the next they're patch. Gonna and they keep moving. And they just keep moving and, and keep, keep moving. keep moving. And I think that people are just not prepared for that grazing mentality. Right. You know, and that's why chickens go into your box. Because they're grazing that box. You know, and now they're using chickens and ducks to clean up their their gardens for the for the fall and stuff. Right. I, I think also um, the other thing that people talk about how stubborn goats are, and um, I think that all animals can have stubbornness. Oh yeah. Honestly, I mean every animal can be stubborn. This is another important point. Is like you can't control everything, and I feel like there's like this distance care for the farm that's going on. It's like you have a goat but you're not interacting with that goat. Yeah. She's just there in a pen. So of course she's not going to listen to you. You need to have a relationship. Of course. They, they you know, okay, and then the holistic uh, aspect of it and as Muslims too, we believe that all the animals and insects have a soul, right? Mm-hmm. They have a spirit. And, and so you can either choose to connect with that animal Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily mean they're going to listen to you. No. Just like your children. Yeah. But you have when you connect with them, you have a common respect. Mm-hmm. You know? And as long as you have that common respect, I think you gain patience. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like... Uh, Grandma, also before we had the Nubians, she had the white ones. What are those called? Come on. What are they called? They're Nubians. No, the white goat. I don't know. I Swiss? thought they were all Nubian. Mumkin. Maybe. Maybe. Swiss, Mom. Maybe. They did not look fat and plump like Nubian. Anywho. Yeah, so the humble goat, and then, you know, a, a, when you're a farmer. If something doesn't work out for me, I'm not going to sit there and be like, hey, don't do this. No, it might work because, out for the other person. Right, everybody's farm. I'm on 500, I have 5,000 square meters, feet. Sorry. Mm. I'm at 5,000 square feet. I have three goats. Yeah. Has it been peachy? Absolutely no. not. Especially when she's jumping over my fence. Yeah. But, on the other hand, I'm willing to have some patience because I want that goat. Yeah. You know, and I want her babies, and I I want that. So yeah. so you you have to adapt to your situation and what is good for you. But I'm not going to sit there and be like, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. I've, I've you know? heard of whole people um, 
having a whole bunch of goats and just getting rid of them. They had this idea of an enterprise. It was a goat cheese enterprise or something like that. And um, they were just like, yeah, never mind. I don't like them anymore. And I was like, okay. But your enterprise is goat cheese. You're not growing veggies. You know, no, so. it's life. We can just change, I guess. I, don't I know. guess so. I guess that's what they're doing now. Um, but yeah... So we we hope to bring another kind of uh, perspective, perspective and um, thought to the process. And yeah, I guess our our knowledge is a little bit old fashioned. Mm-hmm. And um, isn't that I what people th- need today? I think so, but that doesn't mean you know there aren't new things. My cousin, <laughs> <laughs> she sent me um, she sent me a video from TikTok of a man who has robots milking their cows so the cow when they decide they want to get milked will go into the milking machine they get a treat and then the milk totally not extortion with the treat right uh, exactly and then the milker goes on to the milker and milks her and then they leave I just want to say I don't know what to say about that. Is it smart or is it stupid? Or is it just plain laziness? I don't know, because farming, again, you know, going along the lines of monoculture and control is that you have this situation and then you feel more in control the more information you get. So then he knows exactly how much milk he's getting and how much revenue he'll be getting and all this kinds of stuff. So I think that in one hand, for him, he thinks it's very smart. But also the way they are living is not the way that I want them to live. No, of course not. You know, and so here in Egypt, they have quote-unquote farms, which is basically just apartments of chickens. Yeah, literally. 200 square meters. Yeah. Which is, I'm going to pull that up because I just... It'd be about 1,500 square feet, I think. 200 square meters into feet. Um, I've s- square meters is equivalent I did not want to speak. 2,152 square feet. Square feet. I have seen, I have seen chicken factories have all the windows closed and just fans. Oh, and they sell that stuff too in the market like it's normal. Yeah. The hanging feeders. Yeah. I had gotten feeders for our chickens and it's one of those feeders you're supposed to hang. That just saddens me. Yeah. It just saddens me. Even if it's a Cornish cross. Yeah. Dude, it has a right. Right. It has a right to be outside. Yeah. And all the Cornish crosses I've seen up And in not only a right, but like a clean. So this guy, his place, it's just, <laughs> it looks bad, you know? And I get it. It's hard work and stuff, you know? But like, I... This is farming. I've been raised in Minnesota, you know, golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated and... My my family comes on the same idea, treat animals like you want to be treated. So I imagine myself, if I'm that cow, if I'm that goat, if I'm that duck, if I'm that... How do I want to be treated? How do I want my life to be? Exactly. And it makes life a lot easier for the animal and getting their rights. And less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be standing in wet muck. I'm not going to go into Blech. details about I'm what I'm not going is. to paint a picture for you. <laughs> but you might be eating your, enough. your cookie and your coffee. I don't want to do that for you. Yeah. Um, so a little bit more background of our history. My aunt Dottie, 
is she used to be a slaughter inspector. Slaughterhouse inspector. Yeah. And uh Meat pet no it was meat packaging, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah. And um Yeah, so then um her daughter also had brown Swiss and has brown Swiss uh cows mm. farmed and she she's this monocultural type of All farming. the way. Yeah. And you know, I understand why people do it. But there, there's a better way, better way for the environment, better way for the animals. And when we ingest these animals, we're ingesting all those wonderful, I wouldn't say wonderful, it's sarcasm. All those um, chemicals and pesticides and stuff that you're injecting exactly. in them. So. And injecting for what? And I saw a video of someone in Spain mm-hmm. who is milking the mother cows. But he's not milking them so much that... He's taking away from the calf. That's good. You know? Yeah. It's like, so, in during this time period, people would take their milk from the mothers and probably inject them with more homo- hom- hormones. Yeah. But what are you getting instead? What it, what, it's like adding water to the milk. Yeah. You know? It's which not is lying. Wholesome. Yeah, which is lying. It's not pure. And so we can't, and also as Muslims, and we shouldn't as people in general, but as Muslims, um, we can't do that. Right. We can't add water to the milk. We can't dip. What is the other thing they do? They dip wa- dip the chickens in water. So when no, they, they freeze, they inject them with water. And they also inject them with water. Um, I've seen some video of the um, that in the Chinese markets they were injecting um, shrimp, shrimp with something. This is just a form of deceit and lying and that we can't do. So it's it's really important and as Muslims that we make sure that we um as people of integrity. Yeah. Seriously. Um we make sure that our dealings is right and clean. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing I was going to say is that um there's a uh, here in Egypt there's a, two different brands I'd use for whipped cream. And I like myself a fruit salad. The one of them has a quote-unquote natural thickener Mm. based off of algae. And you make that whipped cream, okay, it tastes like foam. It's just nasty. It tastes like foam. And it also has this weird coconut taste to it. Yeah. But then there's another brand that I use, which is pure milk, pure cream. And you whip that bad boy up and you bat it with your fruit. It tastes completely different. Right. And this is... Thickeners, the adders, the adders, and all this type of stuff is adding water to the milk. Yeah. And it might be clean water or not. Right. It's very true. And I really hope that we can get to a place where we can have a cow. Because I... I I really wish. I I bet you you'll see that that, even that whipped cream that we supposedly get that's clean. Mm-hmm. And and supposedly good, it, you'll see that there's a huge difference in it. Exactly. I I believe anyway. So. Yep. I think that's it. Eh? Oh, I had an idea of um. So our goals of this podcast, of course, is sharing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, but I also want to inspire. You know, we've got this whole COVID going on. Yeah. And um. And then we had uh, the stores running out of stuff. Yeah. And then we had, you know, shortages of all kinds of things. And 
Sorry about all the notifications. Um, Go away! We had, uh, you know, shutdowns and stuff like that. And yeah. I really, I think that... Shipments blocked and... Yeah. Let's talk about Evergreen now. <laughs> no, don't go there. Please don't go into the Swiss Canal. I'm just kidding. Um, that is not a meme I want to be making right now. So here's the thing, though. I think, if anything, that we should be learning as a collective is that we need to get more self-sufficient. Right. And how we can do that as an individual and then reach out to our communities to inspire other people to do so also. Because as much as we get off of being dependent on things like, for example, foods and our milks and everything that we need, the more power and control we actually have in our life, you know? So it's really important, and I really pray that I that our channel can also just inspire people to get in, into self-sufficiency at the level that they're able to get to. If you're in an apartment, you do what you can. You're in a house, you do what you can. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, I would love everybody to have, you know, five acres to everybody's selves. But this that's, is life. That, this is life. And so I hope that we can give tips and... And even answer questions on how, or I give ideas of how to get more self-sufficient in whatever situation that you're in, you know. And I hope that we can share the the little itty-bitty knowledge. I mean, we're continuously always studying and learning um, what we want. And we don't know everything. And we don't know everything. I mean, I think it's arrogance to say that you do. Um, but... That doesn't mean I won't learn something. Yeah. Like, for example, we have a bottle a bottle brush tree. I don't know the, the scientific name of it. The bottle brush tree. And the land that we live on, there's a lot of construction matter under the ground. Deep and under or the it might be rock shelf. I yeah, it, yeah it could be also rock shelf. This tree can't get deep, so it can't get tall. It can't keep growing tall. Right? So what is it doing? It's growing out. It's growing out. And that, to me, is amazing. You know? And so I'm learning something. So yeah. even though the tree can't grow down, it's growing out. Resilience. This, this t certain type of tree. Yeah. And, um, which has uh, medicinal properties. But I, I won't go into that right now. But, um, so we learn stuff every day. Exactly. And um, we do things that are wrong, and I hope that I can... You know, we can share what we've done wrong so you don't have to do it. I've done it for you so you don't have to. <laughs> right? You know. Um, you know, and the, the biggest thing is just to inspire people to grow. Mm -hmm. Inspire people to get to canning and get to preserving. And, you know, it may be a huge mountain, but we'll take it step by step. Inshallah. Allah willing. You know. Um, your first experience with a farm. You go first. Let me go first. Okay. My first memory uh, is going to my grandmother's farm, which was in Hanover. She had 140 acres. And at this point in time, it wasn't really active. She had some chickens, some sheep, and she was renting out the land for hay for the neighbors, yeah. And uh, I would go there, and I'd play with the chickens, and I'd climb trees, and it was just a safe clean, calm place. You know, at the time, my mom was uh, in the cities going to school. Mm -hmm. And so this was just kind of a refuge. And I just fell in love with that type of 
life. Right. Mm. Uh, for me, I think the biggest thing I remember is uh, goats. Lots and lots of goats. <laughs> okay. We had horses too, yeah. And we did have horses. We had uh, a little paint mm. called a Rosie. We had a Belgian named Silas. We had a Belgian named Silas. I remember the Belgian, but I remember the the, the paint horse. And, uh, yeah, just a very comical picture of me eating with the, the goats. For some reason, someone thought it was a good idea to take a picture of a, the two-year-old eating corn and <laughs> stuff out of the feeder. So, yeah, that's what I remember. And why do you think that farm and homesteading growing is a good idea? It's the only way. It's like, here's the thing. Everything else is a fragile, complex system of things, and it's a web that makes no sense whatsoever. And then once you start breaking it down, it makes no sense. But if you look back in the day, the blacksmith was the blacksmith, the dressmaker was the dressmaker, the clothesmaker was the clothesmaker, the... Baker was the baker, and they all knew their place, and they all knew what they were supposed to do, and everyone was dependent on each other. But it was a more local standpoint, you know? And also, every one of them had their own food they were growing. They exactly. Had their own. And I see, like, today, for me, in our experiences, you know, losing the farm and the, the real estate crash, yeah. right? And then we've been literally jumping around for... Ten seven years. years? No, seven years. We've been jumping around for seven years trying to find some kind of stability. Mm-hmm. You know, and in between those times, we've had our income leave. We've, like, you know, been stranded without any money or anything whatsoever for a whole year. Mm-hmm. You know, and so with farming, you will always have a house. Exactly. You will always. You know, if you do it in a way that doesn't have mortgages and stuff like that, that's another thing that I learned, is to try to buy out, buy... Cash. Cash. Try it, try it. Buy the land and build it, bit by bit, because that is better for you to not have any debt. Exactly. Um, but you'll always have a house. Mm-hmm. You'll always have a means of, buy, of growing food. The people in America will have a means of hunting and fishing and... And things like this, they will always have something to sustain them. And here in Egypt, we fish too. Yeah, we have fish. Uh, and uh, I also want to say is that I have a friend. Uh, we have a friend, whose son had he doesn't know what he's want to do with his life. And I said to her, you know, it doesn't matter what you want to do with your life. If you have land, you always can make a carpenter shop, on that land. Right. If you have land, you always can make that daycare. That right. whatever on that land, the point is to have it in your name. Yeah. yeah. You can make it anything you want to. And I feel like uh, the same thing that happened in America about country kids leaving to go to the city for work, and they had this grand idea that they were gonna come back, but then they got stuck in a rat race that never stops, it never ends. The same thing is happening in Egypt right now. All the young people are leaving the countryside. And land is being... And so we we look at Texas, who just had a huge winter storm, right? Oh, right. And they had no electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they could freeze their food for a while, right? Could but they? Yeah, but their pipes were breaking, you know. So they, 
we have to think about what can we do. I, again, this must be the Minnesotan in me, but also the, the Muslim, is that I was always taught that you should be prepared. Right. You know? And also, as Muslims, we have the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ who says, you should tie your camel. Right. You just don't assume the camel will stay there. You have to tie the camel, you know. And so we know in Minnesota that cold winter, cold is coming. So we have to harvest our food, process our food. This was the things that we had done when, when I was a kid. We go fishing and we freeze that food, you know, and or be smoke it and smoke it, and be prepared for that winter. Because if we have no electricity, then that freezer and stuff like that, we can put it outside, but you may lose that food that you have. Exactly. You know? So then we had uh, my Aunt Mary. She had wood stoves, you know? Because you never know when that storm comes, and you don't want to freeze to death. Right. You know, we were warming ourselves with the oven. Yeah, and you know? on top of that... Um, it's resilience, really. It's really resilience because if you look at stories from the pioneers, and amazingly enough, the Library of Congress has a plethora of books, either real stories or stories based on true events Mm -hmm. about the pioneers going to the frontier and to the West. One year, no wheat. Mm. Train can't come. Mm. Hard winter. Locusts. Locusts, mm. Cacadia, no, the Cacadias don't do anything, do they? They're just annoying. They're just very annoying. Um, <clears throat> you know, lo- losing cattle, fires, all this type of stuff, you lose. Mm-hmm. But it's the resilience that brings us back and makes us able to be like, okay, we're starting over again. And I think that that's what you learn in farming. Um, you learn hard work, you know, uh, and and... Getting a job done, you know, all of you guys, if you look at our farm before, yeah, and you look at it, it's not finished. That's not finished. And it never all. is. Uh, no. But if you look at our farm before, Don't get comfortable. and you look at it right now, yeah, and you see all the hard work that yeah. we have put into it, there's a sense of pride. Exactly. And honor. Result. You know, and there's also a sense of pride and honor the way you raise your animals. Exactly. Another thing I was going to had a good example now I lost it. Sorry. What was it? Okay. Never mind. Anyway, so I think that the farming is is good for that prepar- preparation. You can still work in your city. You can still have your city life and stuff like that. But if anything happens, you have a place to to live. Go to. To go to, yeah. It's again, like I said from the beginning. We have a friend now who who can't find work. Mm-mm. She lives in the city. The water's on. The water's off. You know. Um, well, look at Texas and their rolling blackouts. Yeah. Um, another thing is, you have to remember. Back in the day, historically speaking, it wasn't that we were reliant on people. It was that we all were, like, leaning against each other. Yeah. That's how community is supposed to be. So when people say, for example, buy local, that's what I think of. Right. Is that I make the wool, but I don't know how to spin it, so I'm going to take it to the spinner. She'll spin it for me. Maybe she'll knit it for me, and she'll give me something back in return. That's a proper 
betrayed. Just like um, when um, Elvin came to Grandma and mm -hmm. gave us that 15 uh, turkeys. Oh, beautiful. And she slaughtered them all by hand, and we got them all smoked up. and Yeah. You know, but it was all local. And, all and, you know, when you support your local people, when you support the local people around you, even, even in, let's say you're in an apartment, you can't move out. Got it. Great. Understand it completely. Go to Google Maps and search out your local farmer. Yeah. Because when you do that, you support them and not corporations. Exactly. And right now, Bill Gates has over, I don't know, uh, seven, eight thousand. No, fifty. No, I'm sorry. It's a lot. It's like 500,000 worth of acres. It's a lot. Yeah. Worth of acres. He's not been clear about what he's going to, you know, do with this land. But... And I also, I want to say something. I'm... I'm I'm in my 20s. Okay. And I look at my prospect of life. Yeah. In my future. All the people going up and be like, oh, I'm going to go to college. Yeah, right. And yeah. you're going to come back knee high, thigh high, up high, in debt. Yeah. And you're going to be a slave to the industry for life. Yeah, because there's doctors even right now. They get paid $150,000 a year, let's say. But they've got $300,000 worth of debt just in student, students. Right. And because they had the student loan and they're trying to pay that off, they can't buy their car and their house and all this kind of stuff outright. And that's also a mortgage. And that's on mortgage and debt. You know? And so I look at the prospects of everyone. It's not only for me. It's like, again, prepper mindset is like, oh, well, here's this room. How can we turn this into an apartment? Yeah. Or how to make this livable? You know? Being flexible, I really, this whole thing is complex. This whole system is very intricate. The in and outs of it, it's like a web and it's very sticky. Yeah. And once you get stuck, you get stuck. And we have family members that have degrees and they don't even use them. Yeah, my mother never used hers. Exactly, and she was going to be in human resources. She was a, yeah, no, she, was a, she wanted to be, she wanted to help, uh, she wanted to help everybody. You know, so she she wanted to be in, um, like, a counselor. Yeah. Okay, so she got a human... It's not resources. Yeah, what is it called? I don't know. Anyway, she... Kids are fighting. We have to wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she got a degree, and... She never used she it. She used that degree for what? Oh, bus driving. Bus driving. <laughs> and then her friend had a master degree and Linguistics. Yes, and linguistics. What is she doing? She's renting out apartments. She's a manager. Yeah. She's managing and renting out apartments. So, um, you know, if you're able to, you know, get a degree without much debt, debt or any debt and, and you know, because you have no, if you want to be a doctor, you have no choice but going to, going I to know school, that. you know. I'm just saying in general, as I look at the situation, I just say to myself, for myself personally, yeah. and maybe I'm wrong in my way of thinking, it's not sustainable. Right. It's not sustainable. And it's going to fall. Right. And so it's better for you to invest your time, effort, and any money that you make into homesteading and farming. Yeah. And then on top of that, we have now skills that we hopefully can share with other people. Exactly. And, you know, that's our only ultimate goal. Exactly. So. 
Well, I think that's a wrap. I think it is. And I am sorry for boring you guys with our horrible <laughs> conversations and me going off on a tangent. I, I, I just want to, yeah, so yeah, reiterate, it's going to be very raw. We, yeah. We tried to do as much editing as possible, but we have a farm and we have life and we don't have editors and stuff like that. We don't have time to edit also. Yeah. And, um, but hopefully the content that we give out to you will be useful and you will forgive us for our mistakes and any annoyances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's a wrap. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. listening to the Valley of Blessings podcast. And we will see you next time. Have a great day.